Coming up on Chasing the Natty, championships have been played, leagues have been finished, and the season comes to an end. But that doesn't mean we don't have plenty to discuss. We'll be celebrating as many CFF champions on this from this year that I could get my hands on. After that, we've got games to discuss from Week 13, Rivalry Weekend, and all the crazy news that came from today. All that and more right after this. Goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is gonna be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, everybody, welcome in. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I am back, back again solo for our final weekly recap of the season. Doesn't mean we are finished. In fact, we are going to pride on ourselves the fact that Chasing the Natty will not be going away once this season ends, y'all. College football does not stop at this point year-round. There is hardly an off-season anymore. With the transfer portal in full effect, with coaching carousels in full effect, we got bowl games coming up, y'all. So much for us to discuss, but y'all, let's all take us take us let's all lay back for a second and just breathe. Championships have been played. A lot of y'all, a lot of y'all, clearly based on how many of y'all have been listening to this past two weeks, were in your playoffs. You wanted to hear as much advice as possible. You've been stressing. Hopefully, you came away with your league championships. Maybe you came away with a little bit of money. Maybe you just came away with some bragging rights. I know I came away with both in some of my leagues. Some of y'all won prizes. Some of y'all won trophies. But again, take a, seat, take, a, take a seat, lay back for a second, and breathe. All right, let's get into this. So, like I said, y'all, it has been a crazy, crazy season, and... Obviously, this isn't going to be like our typical recap shows because normally I would be jumping into waiver wire pickups at this point. But obviously, the season's over, so I'm not going to be giving those out today because there are no more games to play. Now, we'll talk about bowl leagues and stuff like that on another show coming up. But even still, that's all in the future. Like I said, championships were played this past weekend. Well done to each and every one of you. We are going to cover as many cff champions as we can tonight i got a lot of y'all i put out a tweet earlier today asking y'all to either dm me or comment down below um which teams won your leagues uh what league it was and i want to basically give out a um rundown of as many champions that i was able to get my hands on uh for that it'll be quick i'm not gonna it's, it's not like everybody's getting their own like 10 minutes of fame or anything like that i'll be pretty quick about most of them i might throw in one or two like little blurbs about each league if i might know something uh in addition to just their name or just their league stuff like that but even so rivalry weekend was crazy a great way to end the season Pers like i said it's one of my favorite weekends in all of college football because no matter what the stakes might be externally, whether that be playoffs, 
whether that be uh, bowl eligibility, whether that be you're fighting for like the Rose Bowl or like another big New Year's Six Bowl, rivals come to play against each other every single year, unless you're Georgia Tech. Um, but even still, we'll get into a lot of that kind of stuff, y'all. And more than anything, before we get into these champions, I just want to thank each and every one of you guys. We have seen consistent, if not growing, support the entire season. And I really, really appreciate those of you who have been telling people about us, who have been bringing us to the um, to people's attention. It has been awesome. I know things have been a little bit shaky these last couple months because, you know, uh, Xavier has not been on in a while. Um, again, I'm not here to tell you guys what's up with that. Um I'm just letting you know that we will have things figured out by the time that next season rolls around with that. But even still, um, again, thank you so much for each and every one of you guys who have supported us. It has been awesome this, going through this season. Uh, please ignore if you can hear that there's a car alarm going off. Please ignore that. All right. Sorry about that, y'all. Um, again, a car alarm just started going off right outside my window, which was uh, very annoying. So... With all that being said, like I said before, appreciate all of y'all for y'all's support. We're very excited to take some time in the offseason to really plan out uh, new content that we can be bringing you guys. We might be just reshuffling what we do on the shows during the season, next offseason. We got a lot of great stuff, in my opinion, lined up for the offseason, so please be sure to stick with us. I know a lot of other college fantasy podcast shows, uh, content creators, they deservedly take a break during the off season and then they kind of come back around like um usually around like april during the spring games and maybe kind of build their way during like june july august leading up to the summer uh that's not going to be us we're going to be continuing on as much as we can during the off season now probably not two three shows a week like we have been doing probably going to put it down to one show a week but so we got a lot of fun fun stuff for you guys going forward and we'll get into that at a later date uh, just a reminder, as you guys know, here's the spiel. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And make sure you leave a little comment down below. Again, I really like it when you guys just leave like little comments. I feel like I want to engage with you guys. Leaving comments down below is a great way for me to just hear your thoughts and for me to just, you know, um, for me to just interact with you guys. I want to talk to you guys. I want to know who it is that's listening to me. Do you think I'm do you think I'm right with some of the stuff I say? Do you think I'm wrong? I want to hear about it. Thank you guys for those of you who do go back and forth with me either in the comments or even just in DMs. Speaking of DMs, uh, if you're not following me on Twitter, please do so. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. My co-host, as always, he is at CFF underscore Xavier. If you're listening to this on podcast, Apple Podcasts, uh, make sure you leave that five-star review. Those are always, always helpful. And then on Spotify, make sure you follow us there or really any platform that you're listening to this on. Um, <clears throat> but even so, with all that being said, let's get into our CFF champions of 2021. Like I said, I put a tweet out earlier and I wanted to get as many uh, CFF champions at, as possible to, for me to celebrate here. And I'm going to try to be quick about this for each one of these. Uh, so don't worry, this probably won't take more than like, I'd, I'd say five, five, ten minutes. Uh, but so I just want to run through these. I got, let's see, I got 27 names here, or 27 different leagues here. And again, this shouldn't take super long. Uh, but even so, let's get started. So the first one we got here, we got Flip This Roster in the 11-11, 11-on-11 league, which is also known as Mitch Hart's Home League. Uh, this is actually my team. 
Um, and this is a team that I, this is like an orphan team that I took over in the summer. Started off with Max Duggan, Charlie Brewer, and Deuce Vaughn. Completely tried, I, I took it on as a personal challenge to take that roster, which had been just almost, in Mitch's word, just completely abandoned the past year. And you needed somebody to take over, uh, try to rebuild it up. And I took it on as a personal challenge to flip the roster, like flip this house, all that good jazz. And, well, I did it. I won the championship league, so that's fun. Uh, another one we got, we got a Teacup Pigskin, uh, the winner in the All-In Fantasy League. This is also known as uh, Kevin Brown's Home League, so that's a very high-scoring league. So, well done to Teacup Pigskin for taking advantage of a lot of the rules and uh, regulations that are put up in that league. Uh, that league is designed for tons and tons of points, so good job to him. Uh, Rebel Nut was the winner in the Blue Bud CFF Dynasty League. That is a league filled with a lot of your favorite experts like um, Brandon Sanders from CFF University, like Andrew Katz, like Mike Bainbridge, other guys like that. And so it's very impressive for him to go into a league like that and win in the way that he did. Well done to him. In the CFB Ball Fantasy League, you had the Hounds of Bassettville. And the cool thing about him is that last year, in his first year of CFF, he went winless, like winless throughout the regular season. It was an awful year for him. This year, came in with a different mindset, completely turned his team around, and won the whole thing. So well done to him. Uh, another winner we got here, uh, CFF Insiders in the uh, CFF Kings Classic League. I've, I've been on my spiel before. Xavier and I were extremely, extremely close to pulling off this win. Last second pass, David Bailey sealed the deal for Justin. So well done to him. Uh, I'll get him next year. Uh, in the uh, first annual CFF Redshirt League, uh, congratulations to The U. Uh, they won in that league. And for those of you who don't know, I ran a CFF league specifically designed for first-year CFF players. This is a place where people could come in, dip their feet in, see if they liked playing college fantasy football or not. Uh, there was no buy-in. There was no um, prizes or anything like that. It was just a place for people to explore, see if they like the format or not. And congratulations to the U for winning, effectively, your first ever CFF league. I'm very excited about those guys. I am changing the name of that league to now the Blue, the Blue Chip League. Uh, and that's how all of them are going to go from here on out. Uh, I ran a Group of Five and a Power Five league as well. So congratulations to Mitch Hart, also known as The Ace Holes, in the Grand Group of Five league. So congratulations to him there. I won the Power 5 League. Um, I was Big Kenneth's Power, and I won that uh, won that championship by 0.48 points. So I lost the Kings Classic by like point, I think it was like by about 0.4 points, and I won the powerful Power 5 League by 0.48 points. So about time I won one of those close games. Uh, next one I got here, uh, my team won my home league, and in doing so, I beat Xavier. That's the first time I've been able to do that in that league. So I'm very, very happy about that. That's actually my first time winning my home league. So um, in addition, we had from the Ankle Biters podcast home league, Owens wanted me to let everybody know that he has won there. So congratulations, Owen. Uh, Owens. Uh, another league, we, we got the prestigious um, NCFF league and beat University won that league. So congratulations to them. Uh, in the Locker Room Lads Invitational, Rifflandia State University 
was the winner there, and he wants everybody to know it feels great to be a champion. I cannot agree more. Um, in the American College Football League, we have the Detroit Dime Danglers, uh, who overcame a 0-3 start, and they rode Brees Hall to glory, according to them. So congratulations to the Detroit Dime Danglers there. Uh, in the College Fantasy Football parentheses 3 uh, League, Rebel Nut won that one as well. And Rebel Nut, uh, in addition to his win in the Blue Bloods Dynasty, he really wants to thank Mike Bainbridge and Joe DeSalvo and their Discord that they run. And y'all, I can't recommend that Discord enough. It is incredible stuff. Um, in addition to that, in the, quote, worst college fantasy football league ever... Uh, the winner there was Mac is back, so congratulations to him there. Uh, and then in another league called the Degenerates, uh, Return of the Mac won in that league as well. Same guy won two different leagues, so congratulations to him in both of those. Uh, in the Southern League, uh, I want to congratulate uh, Team Rebels. Uh, they, um, I, I know several of the guys who play in that league, and. They have all been fighting very, very hard. I, I've, I've been helping a couple of them out as the season's kind of been going on. So congratulations to all of them for making it that far. Uh, but Rebels won in the end. Uh, in the 2021 Florence NCAA League, Miss Phil Fulmer was the winner there. And they want everybody to know they won the league 13 um, with a record of 13-0. and zero, And they had the highest team scoring. So congratulations there. Uh, in addition... Uh, or the last, like, um, the last redraft slash Dynasty League I have listed here is the Panama City League. Bishop Sycamore, yes, I'm being serious here, y'all. Bishop Sycamore was the winning team for that league. Now, the last eight leagues I have listed here, I'm going to run through them real quick, but just to give you an idea of what this, what this was, uh, during the summer, I started a series of conference-only best ball leagues. So I just wanted to test it out and see how it was. And it seems like it, people enjoyed it for the most part. Like, obviously, as with most best ball leagues, the fun part is the draft, and then you can't really do anything the rest of the way. So you just kind of kind of hope and pray. Uh, but I did want to celebrate the winners of each of these uh, different leagues. So I'll start off with the AAC League. Uh, Corey Cavander is the winner there. He specifically says he wants to thank Alton McCaskill as a late-round pick. I would agree. Uh, that was huge, huge, huge for him to pick him up that late. Uh, the ACC League, uh, Nicholas Allen, you guys also might know him as CFB Winning Edge. He won that league, and the funny thing about that is, this is the only one of these leagues that Nicholas joined. And when he joined it, he had just finished recording his four-hour ACC podcast, and he basically came in and said, if I don't win this league after recording a podcast of that length, what am I doing? And well, here he is. He's won the league. Uh, Big Ten League, Mr. Brandon Champion, a beat writer for uh, Michigan State. Uh, came in for the Big Ten uh, for a Big Ten league, and well, clearly his knowledge of the Big Ten helped him out there because he won that league. The Big Twelve league, we had Mr. Derek Price, the winner there. The MAC league, uh, Kevin Whalen uh, came in, and he is the winner in the MAC league. Mountain West league, we got my friend Justice. Justice was the winner there. Uh, in the Pac-12 league, we had Mr. Andrew Katz. I think Andrew joined every single one of these. Uh, conference only best ball leagues and he came close in a lot of them y'all like he was so so close uh, i think he's second place in at least two or three of them uh, but he did win the pac-12 league so he gets his money back for all those leagues right there and then Derek price the winner in the sec league and uh fun fact i that was the only one that i personally put some money into and i i, I came in last place 
So uh, good job, me. Uh, but anyway, that's me just wanting to take a few minutes to celebrate all those champions. And obviously, those are not the only champions out there. And if some of y'all see my tweet and maybe you post your uh, your team under there and everything, I may have already recorded this, so don't feel bad if you're not listed here. So if that's the case, I apologize. But unfortunately, I do have to record this at some point. I'll do my best to still celebrate you as best as I can. Uh, but even still, like I said, y'all, the season, the regular season is over. Uh, most leagues come down or have wound down. They have their champions, and a lot of y'all are starting to look towards next year or even the bowl games. We'll get all that. We'll get to all of that later. But for right now. Let's look backwards a little bit. Let's take a look at what happened during week 13 rivalry weekend. And let's really look at what the impact of some of these big rival games are. And of course, there's no other place to start than Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State then the number two team in the country. Michigan then the number five team in the country. It wouldn't shock me at all if both of these teams effectively switched, uh, if not Ohio State falling a little further and I feel validated by this game and I'll say and I'll, I'll say why in a second after I take a drink here so last week I did a lot of complaining about Mel Tucker's game plan and the fact that the fact that he didn't use Kenneth Walker like at all and a lot of people were saying oh you have to throw the ball with Ohio State in order to keep up like, they weren't going to be able to just run with Kenneth Walker and keep up in that game. And I said, that doesn't make any sense to me because when you run the ball, you run out of the clock, give Ohio State less opportunities to score, uh, less likely of going three and out, in my opinion, because you are, because uh, with an incompletion, you hit nothing, or you gain nothing three plays in a row, and you can quickly put yourself in a uh, third and long situation versus running. You could be third and short, gives you some more play opportunities. But even so, a lot of people said Kenneth Walker was not going to be a factor in that game because you can't run like run, you can't run on Ohio State anymore. And I said, what about C.J. Verdell? What about Muhammad Ibrahim? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. That was earlier in the season. Ohio State is now better. They, like, he was never going to be able to run against Ohio State. You have, to, you have to throw in order to score with Ohio State. This game put to, get, put to death that narrative. Um... Hassan Haskins went absolutely off in this game. 28 runs, or 28 carries, 169 yards, five touchdowns. Michigan as a team had 7.2 yards per carry. They put the ball on the ground, or they put the ball in the hands of someone going on the ground, and they stuck with it. And guess what? They won this game, and they won this game quite literally running away. Michigan 42, Ohio State 27. Uh, CJ Shroud had a good day overall, um, 34 for 49, um, 394 yards, two touchdowns, the usual suspects of JSN, um, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, they all had decent days, but once again, I've mentioned this in the past, Ohio State, once they got to the red zone, couldn't put it in. They are a team that is great between the twenties. They are not good once they get inside that red zone. And it doesn't help that Michigan, which is Michigan's defense was going great in this game. Uh, eight tackles for loss for Michigan. Zero came from Ohio State. That's what's, I mean, that's what Michigan did to win this game. They kept putting Ohio State behind the sticks whenever they, uh, whenever they could. Um, caused Ohio State 
uh, offense to stumble at times, right at, just at the right times. They were they played an excellent, excellent game. And once again, it just didn't help that once the second half got rolling, Michigan scored a touchdown on every single drive in the second half, except for the final one when they took an E. Every single other one was a touchdown. And guess what? Once again, they did it running. They didn't have Cade McMinamara throwing it all over the yard. It was just Hassan Haskins over and over and over again. And it just makes me even more bitter that Kenneth Walker did not get any run last week. But again, I can't be too bitter about that forever. How does this affect everything? Well, obviously, Michigan is a clear playoff contender at this point. If they beat Iowa in the Big Ten Championship, they are going to the playoffs. And congratulations to them. This is the year that I think nobody really expected them to do anything. And this was the year that Harbaugh finally got his signature win over Ohio State. And then Ohio State, they're out of it, in my opinion. Uh, the two best teams that they have played so far this year, Oregon and Michigan, they have both lost to. And I know there's crazy playoff scenarios where like maybe a two-loss team can get in, but y'all, we know the likelihood of that actually happening. I think Ohio State's done for the year. Uh, similar to most, if any, uh, major Power 5 programs that have two losses. So congratulations to Michigan. This is a huge win for them. And as a Georgia fan... I know that most likely, no matter what happens in the SEC championship, that Georgia will be in the playoffs. So I look forward to facing Michigan because that's going to be a great matchup. Let's move on to our second game. We got nine of these games to get to. So again, I'll, I'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. I don't think tonight's going to be a very long show. I mean, you guys can see how long this actually gets. You'll know if I'm a liar or not. So you're, you're, you're either looking at me right now and saying, Jared, what are you talking about? Uh, this show's two hours long, or you're looking at me like, yeah, Jared's right. This show's only about 45 minutes, uh, but we'll see. We'll hit up our another another ranky ranked matchup. Bedlam. Bedlam. Oklahoma State finally does it. So many great Oklahoma State teams come into Bedlam, and Oklahoma's always there to foil them, and it looked like that was going to be the case here once again. They go into the half tied. Oklahoma State had a lead. Oklahoma brings it back. They tie going to the half. They come out the second half. Oklahoma gets a safety. Oklahoma gets a pick six. All of a sudden, it quickly turns around and it looks like Oklahoma, if they can get the offense going, it's going to run away with this. Here's the problem. Oklahoma State shuts out Oklahoma in the second half. They stay there at 33 points. And Oklahoma State make some massive, massive plays, helped by a muff punt, obviously, by Oklahoma near the end of the game. But even still, Oklahoma State, when it mattered, they capitalized on their opportunities, and that's what won them this game. Uh, Caleb Williams had probably the best day he's really had in a while. Uh, 20 for 39, 252 yards, three touchdowns. So when, uh, I mean, he's going well on the ground, but he was the one to uh, put it in the end zone. So fantasy... Uh, owners were obviously relatively happy about that. So I guess we do have to talk about the elephant in the room here. And that is the fact that Lincoln Riley announced earlier today will be leaving the Oklahoma Sooners and will be become the next head coach of the USC Trojans. I have quite a few thoughts on this. So obviously the big, big narrative that immediately came out with this 
was the fact that Lincoln Riley is running from the SEC. He didn't want to take the LSU job. He doesn't want the Oklahoma job anymore. He just wants a job where he can go and have it easy. And a lot of people are giving him crap for that. But I have to ask each and every one of you. Now, I'm going to defend Lincoln Riley here on this. Uh, I'll, I'll trash him in a second. There's, a, there's something else about this that really puts me off. But uh, that doesn't bother me. The fact that he is, quote-unquote, running from the SEC. Running from competition. No, 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 no. Lincoln Riley knows what awaits him in the playoff, even if he has USC. He's not running from competition. Here's the thing. He is going to a USC, program, or USC Trojans program that is going to give him time. They have been in the dumps with Clay Helton as their head coach, and they knew that they were not going to be able to get out of it. He, Lincoln Riley is a massive upgrade over Clay Helton. And he is going there, probably going to get paid even more money than he would have, may have gotten at LSU and some of those other programs, the Oklahoma. He's probably going to get paid even more money. Uh, but even still, like I said, he's going to a program with less expectations. Uh, they want him, obviously, to make them a perennial, uh, perennial playoff contender, but they know it's going to take time. And it's going, it is an easier path to getting to the playoffs every single year. And if you were in the same exact position, why would you not do the same thing? It's not running from competition, because like I said earlier, he knows what's in the playoff. Once he gets to the playoff, he has to face Alabama. He has to face any team coming out of the SEC. He has to face... Uh, the Ohio States of the world. He has to face the Clemson when they're up. Uh, the Clemsons of the world. Like, he knows what he has to face once he gets to the playoff. So he's not running from competition. But it is, it does make sense. Like, why not go to a job that's going to pay you just the same, if not more, for an easier ride every single year? Again, I, I don't blame him for that. Here's what I do blame him for. And here's the part that is rubbing me the wrong way about all of this. The more and more I'm reading into what is going on with Oklahoma players, Oklahoma coaches, and Oklahoma recruits, and the fact that Lincoln Riley did not tell anybody about what was going on here, and that he has completely blindsided all of them, is rubbing me the wrong way, in addition to the fact that apparently... Lincoln Riley made a concerted effort this year in uh, Oklahoma's recruiting to focus on Southern California kids. And now he is becoming the head coach at USC and already there has been, has been rumors of multiple decommits from the Oklahoma program from some of these Southern California kids. If they flip with him to USC, that is a major, I mean, of it, like, I, by no means do I think he did anything illegal, but that is the kind of stuff that rubs me the wrong way. That right there is somebody that was playing his program and really didn't care much about them and their future after he was gone. That was being a snake. Because again, I, I don't mind a coach leaving for a better opportunity elsewhere or doing what they think is best for them in their career. I don't mind that. What I do mind is when a coach then sets up their previous, uh, sets up their previous program for destruction. It's kind of the same reason why I don't love Jimbo Fisher, even though I think he's a good coach, I don't love what he did to Florida State. 
he left them in a terrible, terrible position. Now, Willie Taggart made it worse after that point. But even so, I don't like coaches that do that. So, even so, that's kind of my thoughts on the whole Lincoln Riley situation. Like, I don't care that he's quote unquote running from the SEC. I think he, I think in that sense, he made the right decision. What I do care about is the fact that he looks like he's trying to screw over Oklahoma in the process, which to me is a terrible, terrible thing for him to do. Uh, but even so, let's move on. Uh, we got other games to get to, and I was right to put this game on uh, last week, even though Alabama was a 19-point favorite, uh, but the Iron Bowl. First Iron Bowl in history to go into overtime. That in itself was a feat to watch, and how we got there was even better. Auburn jumps out to a 10-0 lead, and Alabama, Alabama, this offense, this team that people have been talking about is like one of the upper-tier offenses in the country scoreless through three quarters by an Auburn defense, which is good. Do not get me wrong. Auburn is a good defense. But even still, this is a defense that a team like Georgia, which a lot of people say is a average to slightly above average team in terms of offense, was able to put 34 points up on. This is a team that Mississippi State was able to score 40 unanswered points on. So, a lot of things can point to the fact that Jamison Williams was knocked out early in this game due to a targeting penalty. But even still, if your offense is dependent that much on one player, that's not an elite offense. I'm sorry. It simply is that. So Alabama needed somebody to step up with Jamison Williams out. So who steps up? Well, at the end of the day, Ja'Cory Brooks. I was literally texting my sister during this game. She's an Alabama fan. And I was asking her, I'm like, all right, who's going to step up? Because Alabama needs somebody to step up at this point. John Mechie. I love him to death. He is not the kind of receiver that can take over a game completely. Now, he caught the winning two-point conversion. Whew, sorry about that, y'all. Uh, started having a sneezing fit, so I had to, had to cut out there for a second. Anyway, um, Mechie, not the kind of receiver that can take over a game, so they need somebody to step up. Ja'Cory Brooks was that guy. Game-winning drive. Uh, Bryce Young, which not his best day. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but on that final drive, he was impressive. He put it right in the basket for Ja'Cory Brooks on that final play of the game. Or not final play of the game. It was 24 seconds left in the half, but even still. In addition to that, um, a lot of people are talking about how Auburn... One little mistake can cost you against Bama, and that was so true in this game. Hank Bigsby, on the, Auburn's final drive before the end of the half, runs out of bounds on, I believe, second down. Because of that, the clock stops. Had he stayed in bounds, Bama would have had 40 seconds left, or 40 less seconds than they did on their final drive. Bama got their final touchdown with 24 seconds left on the clock. And had, had um, Bigsby stayed in bounds, the game would have already been over by that point. Uh, this, one, this game was another one of these games that went into overtime. Um, once again, the first two overtimes are great. You know why? Because they're just like the old overtimes. It's about sustaining a drive and getting the points. Then, once things got into the third and fourth overtimes, things became cheap. I'm sorry. It's as simple as that. Things became cheap. I don't like the idea of the football equivalent of penalty kicks deciding games 
Like somebody said earlier, it's funny when it's something like Penn State, Illinois. Like nobody really cares about that game in uh, like in terms of like you don't remember that game years down the line. This is an Iron Bowl. This is the first overtime Iron Bowl in history. And then all of a sudden it comes down to which team can execute on one play better than the other. No, I appreciate these long sustained drives that force you to stay in game. Even still, I've had that rant before, so I'll move on from that. Um, like I said, a lot of people are kind of debating whether or not Bryce Young solidified the Heisman or if he lost the Heisman in this game. And there's arguments for both sides here. So clearly not Bryce Young's best day. 25 for 51, 317 yards, uh, two touchdowns. Only one of those came in regulation. Um, and I don't even tell, I can't even tell you which, what, what his overall passing stats were, uh, before that final drive. But even still... Uh, he was having a rough, rough, rough day uh, before that final drive. Um, but also, that final drive happened. And if you watch that final drive, that is a textbook, textbook example of how a quarterback is supposed to lead his team down seven in a game like that. So I give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, in terms of where do I fall on this, I personally don't feel like Bryce Young has been the most impressive Heisman contender or like... A lot of people just kind of want to... It feels more like people want to crown him the Heisman uh, winner because he's the Alabama quarterback rather than, I don't know, looking at his... His stats are impressive. Don't get me wrong. Dude's almost at 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns. Clearly a great season by any stretch of the imagination. But it really doesn't feel like that he has been the one to carry this team on his back the entire year. I don't know. That's just my whole thing. I don't think he really gained or lost any ground in the Heisman race in this game. I think... Really, the big test for him is going to be coming next week against Georgia. So, we will take, we'll preview that game at a later date, but we'll move on here. Uh, we're going to the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Minnesota 23, Wisconsin 13. This game felt like such, like, I felt like everybody in the world wrote this game off. Every, this was a foregone conclusion in so many people's minds. So, like, once once Michigan beat Ohio State, it quickly turned to, okay, so what is Michigan going to do against Wisconsin next week? But it's like so many people forgot that Wisconsin hadn't wrapped up the Big Ten yet. And it required Iowa winning against Nebraska, which they did. Uh, Nebraska losing another one-point possession game. God bless their souls. Um, but the Wisconsin had to beat Minnesota. And something about this rivalry, man, whenever like one of these teams is riding hot, the other team is right there ready to ruin their season. Wisconsin did it to Minnesota a year or two ago, and it was Minnesota was able to return the favor here. Um, one, of the, one of my bigger misses this year, I've loved Braylon Allen as a running back for Wisconsin, taking over as that lead role. I thought that he was going to be good enough to overcome this Minnesota uh, rushing defense. Uh, he was not. But I'm also going to put a lot of blame on Graham Mertz for that because he could not make the Minnesota uh, defenders respect him in the passing game. So they kept loading the box against Allen. And loaded boxes don't have to be a problem for Allen when it's a team of a, or their rushing defense is just not good. But against Minnesota, who has a good rushing defense, he couldn't do anything. There were no lanes open for Allen almost this entire game. In addition to that, once... Uh, Wisconsin fell behind. Uh, they had to rely on Allen even less. Uh, Minnesota, uh, once again, just didn't have to respect the passing game of Wisconsin. This was, again, it was like one of these, 
Wisconsin games from earlier in the season where once they got behind, this, this is not a team built to come from behind. And Minnesota was able to take advantage of that. So congratulations to Minnesota. Again, I don't have a ton to say on this game, but I still think it's worth saying because it is a ranked team getting upset by their rival. So I'll give credit to the Gophers here. And yeah. So well done, Gophers. Wisconsin, you lost out on your Big Ten title chances. So now we got Iowa going to the Big Ten championship to face Michigan. That should be a pretty good game. Not going to lie. Um, as long as Iowa can figure some things out on offense. All right, let's hit another game here, another rival game. Like I said in the preview for this game, uh, the Texas A&M-LSU rivalry, a lot of people complained about it being like the SEC trying to force a rivalry between these two. And while I understand initially, this has organically grown into a legitimate rivalry between these two schools, like tons and tons of storied games between these two so far, and this one was no different. A&M, I had a feeling on this game. I, 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 I kind of floated this where I was like, well, LSU beats Texas A&M, Florida beats Florida State, 13 SEC champion. And I'm like, I don't, I'm, and I, but at the end of that, I'm like, I don't think that's not possible. I think LSU, it has a ton of talent on their team. And when they're hitting on all cylinders, they can upset a lot of good teams. And well, uh, the end of this game comes. Uh, Texas A&M, once again, Calzada, I appreciate him, love him, but... Uh, can't keep this offense consistent in this game. Uh, defense is out there for a lot of plays, and it comes down to a final drive from LSU and Max Johnson. And Dre Jenkins, I'm going to miss him next year. I, I doubt he comes back. I, think, I believe he's a senior. Because um, if not, he would, he would be an awesome CFF asset for next year. But he was the guy for this game. I believe he had two touchdowns. Um, and that, that, final, that final drive and the final play it took for them to um, get the win was incredible TV to watch. Like, again, lots of great, great games to watch this weekend. Uh, LSU's, I, I think another thing here about this game was that A&M could hardly run the ball in this game. Uh, A&M, uh, A-Chain and Spiller each got around like 11, 12 carries apiece, uh, combining for about 3.3 yards per carry. LSU's rushing defense, I think, has quietly become one of the best uh, or not best, but one of the most improved positions in the or the um, one of the most improved stats in the sport. Like we saw them do it against Bama. Bama's a good rushing team when they got Brian Brian Robinson going, uh, and they were able to shut them down. They've been doing this pretty consistently the last couple of weeks against Arkansas, against Bama. Uh, now they did it against Texas A and M, and that was what was able to keep them in this game. Uh, Throw in the fact that both of these defenses were going off. AM had six sacks, eight tackles for loss. LSU had four sacks, nine tackles for loss. So just both teams like making plays on defense when they needed to. But again, like it came down to that last drive. Great stuff. And now LSU's bowl eligible. Uh, which was crazy to think about because Ogeron was fired at the midway point in the season, and he's got a lot of players on that team that are still playing for him. So good for him. Uh, A&M, very, very weird, weird year for y'all. 4-4 uh, and four in the SEC, beat both teams from Alabama, lost to both teams from uh, Mississippi, lost to Arkansas and LSU, but beat Ole Miss. You beat um, this other team. Oh, no, you beat um, South Carolina. So it's like interesting. In interesting, interesting year for A&M. So we'll go ahead and move on. To a game that was deciding bowl eligibility. Uh, Florida State and Florida. Well, 
Final of this score, final of this game, Florida 24, Florida State 21. Perfectly, in my opinion, encapsulates where both of these teams are at this point. They're right about even with each other. Um, and really, neither one impressed in this game uh, in particular. But both of these teams are focused on the future right now. Mike Norvell is putting together a very, very good recruiting class for Florida State. Got a, he's got the current number one player in the country, Travis Hunter. They're committed to him. He is uh, Hunter is recruiting some great players uh, to FSU. So they got a lot going for them there. Uh, and then Florida today just announced that they are hiring Billy Napier, head coach from Louisiana, uh, to become their next head coach. Uh, I think this is a pretty big get for them. Uh, Napier has been the kind of coach to turn down a lot of big head coaching jobs in the past, has been waiting for the right one to open up, and it looks like the right one finally did. And the big, the two big things that Florida needs to focus on from here on out, and anybody who's been paying attention to them over this year knows this to be true, um, they need recruiting and they need facilities. I don't know how much Napier is going to help with facilities. That is more of an administrative side of things. He can try to convince them, but at the end of the day, boosters and stuff like that have to sign off on that. But what he can do immediately is put a better focus on recruiting for Florida. Napier is a recruiting guy. Back when he was at Bama, he was the guy that brought guys like Jerry Judy, like Calvin Ridley, into the Bama program. So he is clearly very comfortable with that kind of stuff. He knows Florida. He knows how to recruit from there. So I expect Florida's recruiting to instantly improve uh, with him there at the helm. Maybe not this year, but definitely next year. Um, going to make it harder on programs to just come into Florida and uh, pluck guys out. Uh, but now, uh, like I said, I think it was a good hire. Uh, as a Georgia fan, I hope he fails. <laughs> no. Um, again, I think it was a good hire for Florida. Um, but even still, it's not all right. As a Georgia fan, it's not one that strikes fear into, into the heart of my soul. But I think it was a good hire. It's definitely better than, like, just from an objective standpoint, I think it's going to put them in a better position than Dan Mullen was putting them in right now. Now, let's talk about this actual game. Again, neither side really impressed here. Um, Damian Pierce, who I thought was tragically misutilized last week against Mizzou. Mizzou had one of the worst rushing defenses in the country. And for some reason, Damian Pierce had like seven yards and a touchdown at the end of that game. Dude was a legit runner. He was somebody that for some reason, like Georgia could not even handle. And I don't know why they didn't ride him in that game. So weird. But even so, he finally had a pretty good day here. Um, and again, Florida's players came to play in this game, unlike the last couple of weeks, which there was just a notable di difference in this game. Now, again, put up 24 points at the end of the day. I think that showed not really what their ceiling is, but again, like what they, again, they played to about what you would expect them to play, uh, with them actually caring about the game. Uh, another person I want to shout here, I mean, quarterback for Florida State, Jordan Travis. Uh, again, pedestrian through the air, 18 for 29 uh, 202 yards and a touchdown, one interception. Nothing great there, but 17 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown? Ooh. That is some great, great stuff. And somebody really to watch out for next year uh, as a CFF player. Um, and the other thing really here is that Emory Jones started this game, which was uh, kind of a shocker to me because uh, there was a lot of reports that he wouldn't be playing in this game due to a hand injury. But he did play. But eventually we got to see more Anthony Richardson in action. And one thing I want to note here 
I don't get people who are talking about Anthony Richardson transferring. Uh, I, I can see him transferring, don't get me wrong. But a lot of people are like, oh, he's going to follow wherever Mullen goes. Why? Why would he do that? Mullen waited way too long to play him throughout this entire year. And when he did finally play him and put him in a starting position, it was against Georgia, the best defense in the country. Dude is not going to set Anthony Richardson up for success. I just want to throw that out there. I don't understand that line of thinking at all, that Richardson's going to follow where Dan Mullen goes. I don't get that whatsoever. Um, even so, again, not much more to say on this game. Uh, congratulations to Florida. Y'all are bowl eligible, barely. Um, Florida State, uh, y'all got something going. It's just going to take a couple more years. All right, going over to the Civil War out west, not a super ton to say in this game. Uh, Oregon wins 39 or 38. Uh, Oregon State 29. Uh, some, I just really want to shout out some players in this game, mostly on the Oregon side of things. Anthony Brown played out of his mind in this game. 23 for 28, 255 yards and two touchdowns through the air. Well done to him there. 14, uh, 14 rushes for 83 yards and a touchdown as well. This dude basically saved one of my championships because I was struggling at QB, and then all of a sudden Anthony Brown plays one of the best games that he's played all year. So thank God for that. Uh, Travis Dye returns, 20 rushes for 99 yards and two touchdowns. Really wish he could have done that last week because I needed him last week. But even so, I'm glad to see him back and going. Uh, be curious to see if he comes back next year. Uh, and then uh, Devin Williams, Chris Hudson. Again, with Anthony Brown playing well, it's these two that really stepped up. Both of them had over uh, right about 100 yards and a touchdown in this game. And both of them are young guys. I believe Hudson's a freshman and Devin Williams is a sophomore. So it wouldn't shock me to see both of these guys come back for another year and really improve on what they did this year. Uh, this game got really crazy in the fourth quarter. Uh, I believe there was like 34 points scored between the two of them in the fourth quarter. Like Oregon was kind of controlling this game for the most part. Then all of a sudden the Beavers really kind of came out and Oregon just had to score in order to keep them away. Uh, but even so... Fun, great rivalry game. Another one of these ones that just reminds us why college football is so great. But even still, let's move on to another game. We got Clemson, South Carolina. Clemson 30, South Carolina 0. Uh, South Carolina. We thought we thought there might have been something here. Thought this might have been the year that South, like, South Carolina is riding hot. They beat Florida. Um, they beat Auburn. They're just riding hot into this game. They got some things figured out. They might have their quarterback of the future, finally, because he's clearly better playing better than almost any of the guys behind him. Uh, Clemson's in a down year. Maybe South Carolina can spring something on Clemson. No. Nope. Uh, Clemson just outclassed South Carolina in this game. Uh, that defense was just too much for South Carolina to overcome at all. And Clemson, again, like I said, all year long, like people want to clown on Clemson because, you know, they're in a down year. But, again, that defense is playing up to what they should. It's been their offense that's been off. But uh, speaking of their offense, Clemson's run game is the future of their offense if things continue the way that they're going. Uh, DJ, once again, struggled. 9 for 19, 99 yards and an interception. So just nothing from him. But go to the ground game. Will Shipley, 19 carries, 128 yards and a touchdown. Kobe Pace, 7 carries, 58 yards and a touchdown. Phil Moffa, 11 carries, 43 yards, and a touchdown. That is the kind of stuff that is going to continue to keep Clemson. That's against a good D-line, by the way. South Carolina, for as much as they've struggled in a lot of games this year, their D-line is a legitimate D-line in this in uh, college football. Like They are a very good D-line. Um, 
and Clemson was able to run all over them. So congratulations to Clemson there. They got some studs in that running back room. I think they got some bad blood out of there from um, some of the stuff I've been hearing from like the players and stuff like that. They think there's better cohesion right now. Uh, you would like as a CFF player for maybe them to kind of focus in a little bit more on maybe one to two guys rather than this split that they got going on with Shipley, Pace, and Maffa. Because um, like last week, Pace had the most carries, Shipley had the second, Maffa had the third. But this week, um, Shipley had the most, Maffa had the second, Pace had the third. It was like no consistency there. So you would like to see them kind of probably settle in on maybe Shipley and Pace, Maffa being the kind of guy where um, he's like a project for the future. Um, but even still... Uh, that's kind of my big takeaway from this is that Clemson's run game continues to be the thing to watch for going into the future. I think Will Shipley is going to be a high, high draft pick next year because I think he's the most likely out of these three guys to really solidify that backfield. But even still, once again, like, again, thought this game might be a little bit closer. But again, congratulations to Clemson. Just ended, ended the season on a high note, even if it's not exactly the same way that you wanted to at the beginning of the year. Got one more game for to talk to you guys about. Going to the Apple Cup, Washington State 40, Washington 13. Wazoo wins this game for the first time since 2012 and doesn't need overtime to do it this time. In fact, they absolutely destroy Washington in this game. This game is a game, a tale of two teams, really. Both of these teams lost their head coach in the middle of the year, and both of these teams have responded in entirely, entirely different ways uh, Wazoo lost their head coach Rolovich to um, some vaccine controversy. We're not getting into that. Um, regardless, Rolovich is out. Uh, uh, Jake Dickert takes over as the Wazoo head coach, and the team keeps on humming along almost as nothing has happened. Um, they have played great football over the past couple of weeks, and I've talked to a couple of Utah fans, and they were legitimately scared that if Oregon State beat Oregon, they thought they had a better chance uh, against Oregon than they did against Wazoo. Like they were that, they, like Wazoo was playing that good of football that a lot of Utah fans were saying, like, oh, I'd rather play Oregon than Wazoo at this point. And do you blame them? Absolutely dismantle Washington in this game. Uh, Delora uh, played great football. Like, again, his numbers don't jump off the page too much, but still 27 for 32. It's a high completion percentage. 243 yards. This Washington um, passing defense was supposed to be like a no-fly zone. Like, pat like you don't pass against this Washington uh, passing defense. Well, Delore was able to do it very well. Didn't get any touchdowns out of it, but he didn't have to because Sam Bor or Max Borgie ran wild in this game. Uh, two or 22 carries, 129 yards, and two touchdowns. He was incredible in this game. Uh, and then on the other side of things with Washington. They lose their head coach, Jimmy Lake. Sounds like there's just a lot, a, a lot of just. It sounds like there was just a lot of problems with Jimmy Lake in terms of like the culture he was building there, in terms of just like how he was viewed among the coaches, how he was viewed among the players. Things were just not working out, and currently, Washington, it's rumored are looking at Brian Harson out of Auburn. Which, no offense uh, to Brian Harson, I don't think there's really anything he's done at Auburn that should tell people, like, hey, that's the guy to go get after his first year of coaching at a new school. I, I get it. Bring him back up north. He was the head coach at Boise State, but even still, don't quite get that. 
Um, so that tells you where Washington's eight uh, athletic department's headset is at. But even so, let's look at the results of the field. And Sam Hewer got his first start in this game, which I'm a big fan of, especially these late season games. You know that Dylan Morris isn't going to be your guy going forward, or you don't want him to be your guy going forward. He's probably not going to be like a big time draft guy, so you don't want to give him exposure that much exposure. Just go ahead and put Sam Heward out there, see what happens. Well, the unfortunate thing for Sam Heward is that he looked awful. Uh, 17 for 31, 190 yards. He did get a touchdown. He did get a touchdown. It's a pretty touchdown. Uh, Adunze, who uh, caught that touchdown, what great catch by him. Uh, here's the part that here's the problem: four interceptions. Uh, Sam Heward was making some terrible, terrible decisions all night long. He's got a lot to work on next year if he's really going to be carrying this Washington team forward. And really, Washington's got a lot to figure out. They got to get a head coach. They got to get a new offensive coordinator because what they've been doing this year on offense has been <clears throat> so. Um, but yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on that. And again, those those are the big rivalry games I want to talk about. Lots of other ones. Uh, that were interesting, but um, those are the ones I felt like had the most takeaways. But again, I appreciate every, each and every one of you guys for tuning in. Uh, once again, I'll give you the spiel again. If you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, please make sure you, sure you hit that like button. Make sure you comment down below. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. All that good jazz. I've started seeing the numbers tick up, so it tells me that every time I do this spiel, it reminds at least one of y'all to do it so i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep doing it until it stops working so appreciate y'all uh once again tuning in if you want to follow us anywhere best place to do that is on twitter i at cff underscore jared my co-host is at cff underscore xavier um again you can ask us questions there you can just chill and chat with us i pretty much will discuss almost anything college football um if it's something i don't really think about that often i might take a little bit longer to respond to you but i try to give you my best responses um in addition to that yeah guys it's been it's been a great awesome season i'm glad i was able to celebrate uh some of these winners tonight with you guys um congratulations to everybody who's played all season long you guys really again i think this might have been the biggest year for college fantasy football yet and really just with nil hopefully we'll get some more options in terms of the platforms we get to play on I think that CFF is fixing to explode, especially with some of these newer uh, analysts coming in, getting people that are a bit more focused on certain aspects of the game. Very, very excited to show you guys what we got. Like I said, going forward, Chasing the Natty is going to still be around throughout the offseason. We will not be taking any kind of major hiatus. We will be um, talking about just different stuff during the offseason. Uh, we got bowl games coming up, so we'll be doing previews and stuff like that for those. We'll be looking at, um, and then after that, really, we just start looking ahead to 2022. Uh, again, we focus on redraft, but we're definitely going to get some dynasty talk in there, keeper talk, stuff like that. I'm going to be bringing on so many guests for y'all. Because again, some of them may be dropping their own shows, but I'm going to keep badgering them until they come on here. Maybe give them an excuse to talk about some college football for a little bit. Because uh, I know a lot of them about to move on to NFL, NFL draft, that kind of jazz. All good and well. But even so, I'll give them a break here. Uh, but again, appreciate y'all tuning in, y'all. It's been an awesome ride. And thank you so much for the support you guys have shown us so far this year. I can't wait to do it all again with you guys next year. So, y'all, good luck. And we will see you next time. Have a blessed day.